podcast. This is Casey, your host. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, what you need to know about this podcast is that it's meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking to grow your fundamentals, but in bite-sized segments of time. And today I am so excited about today's guest um, because we have a very special podcast guest in honor of Father's Day, aka my dad. And I am so excited for y'all to hear from one of my very first mentors in life. Some of the lessons that he taught me, whether verbally or just by example of leadership. And I may be biased a little bit, but he also happens to be very highly qualified. While he's not a PT, he was a pilot in the Air Force and retired as a full bird colonel and then decided to go into leadership from a different route the ministry. So aka lots of variety and experience and exposure that we can apply in PT with ourselves, with our patients, and with our profession. So if leadership is something that you wish to learn more about, this is for you. We cover not only how to, to lead a team towards a mission while best utilizing the talent, but also how to develop yourself as a leader and utilize the resources and people around you and how to troubleshoot the difficulties that your team may face, as well as so much more in this episode. So without further ado, let's get started. Well, hey, PT Nation, my name is Bill Hogan, and uh, my number one reason for being here is I'm Casey's dad. That's how everybody knows me, and that's what I'm most proud of. Uh, Casey asked me to come on as a special edition of Father's Day uh, to talk a little bit about leadership. My background is includes 21 years in the United States Air Force, where I served in various leadership capacities. Uh, the, the Air Force did a good job at both putting me in practical situations that required leadership, as well as educating me on leadership with schools and such. And then life gives you lots of opportunities for leadership if you know what leadership really means. Uh, following my Air Force career, I decided to attend seminary and uh, moved my family from Germany to Kentucky for the ultimate culture shock. Uh, that's another <laughs> podcast for another time. <laughs> but uh, in the process of going to seminary, I learned a whole different level and style of leadership because it's one thing to lead in an organization where everybody is focused on the goal and is there for that reason. It's a whole nother thing to lead in a pure volunteer environment where people are busy with other things and priorities. And so I come from leadership from two drastically different poles on the horizon, the, the highly motivated with the esprit de corps and the volunteer that is way busy. So uh, somewhere in the middle is probably where most people will lie. And, and I will say that if you're thinking that, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a pastor or in the military, uh, stick with us for a minute, because I think you'll see that leadership is is ubiquitous. It's everywhere, and it's what you make of it. Mm -hmm. I would definitely agree with that. Um, but then again, I have the bias of being your daughter, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's that in there. Um, but I think you bring up some some really cool points too, in terms of just like starting with what is a leader. How would you define that? What is a leader? Um, there, there's two different questions in that, really. There's what and there's who. Uh, starting with what is leadership? Leadership is both science and art. Some people try to break that down into it's just science, meaning there's just a set of principles. If you follow these principles, you will be a leader, you will be successful. Uh, and I'm here to tell you that that's not always true. Um, and that's not bad news. That, that's actually good news because that gives you a lot of freedom. You don't have to follow the textbook formula for success. Mm -hmm. But it does put some onus on you as a leader to understand the art side of things. And 
the, the simplest way I could say this is the art is the heart. So what is the situation? What's the emotional intelligence involved? What are the strengths and weaknesses of your people? Uh, do you know them well enough to know that? What are the goals of the organization? And are you willing to flex on those goals? Not abandon the goals, but flex. Maybe go a different route than you originally planned, but still get to the same point as you incorporate all those things of the heart. I will say it's not always possible to do both. Uh, one specific example would be if, if you're in an immediate crisis and their life and limb at risk, someone needs to step up and be directive and you can't take time to worry about someone's feelings <laughs> or, or gifts necessarily. It just, not a high priority. Yeah, yeah not, not a high priority at that moment. <laughs> Maybe later. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that, that's, uh, you know, it, it's situational and that is actually a, a model. That is a, a theory called situational leadership where you respond in different ways, depending on how much time and availability that you have. I will say though, that some of the best leaders that I've seen in my career are those that can flex between those who need to direct and those who can step back and, and help develop the people and incorporate ideas so that there's a sense of ownership and camaraderie in the process. Yeah. So. I'm curious, um, you know, with the the science and the art together, when you were first starting out your career and, and going through your roles as a leader, did you already intuitively have that? Did you have to learn one versus the other? How did you come to grips with where you are right now? I think when I started, I was very much of the science, uh, meaning that if I just learned stuff from a book and applied the principles and everything would work out. I had a unique childhood. Uh, you've heard the family stories. <laughs> I had a unique childhood in that uh, I had a lot of involvement with the Boy Scouts, which gave me leadership opportunities. Uh, I had a, a opportunity to go to a national leadership conference, a 10-day conference uh, in high school that was uh, students from all over the United States uh, went up to uh, Michigan and, and had a 10-day experience there where we learned leadership principles. So I think coming out of that process and going into then college, I was very much of the, you just follow these principles mm -hmm. as you get more opportunities to lead. And, and this is another good thing that uh, uh, the military is good about that, whether you like it or not, you're going to get opportunities to lead. Yeah, uh, just that's because, true. right? <laughs> uh, especially if you go in certain tracks. Yeah. But what I found is, as I had tried to apply those, it felt heavy handed or awkward disconnected? Uh, could I get the team to the end result? Usually, yes, but it just felt off. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I, I think that was my first encounter with some leaders in the Air Force that were good at that balancing and that art part of it. Mm -hmm. And so as I began to watch how they did things, it wasn't just, and, and here's the key, it wasn't just what they did, it's how they did it. Right. So anybody can accomplish a goal, but how did you do that? Did you bring people along? Were, did you get the goal accomplished and bring everybody with you and make them better along the process? Mm -hmm. And I, I was gifted, uh, uh, I guess gifted is the wrong word. I was blessed to serve under some very uh, high power leaders in the Air Force that had this down to a T. So I began to watch not just what they did, but how they did. So that might be the first general lesson that we can take away. Uh, find someone that you appreciate their leadership style and watch what they do and also watch how they do it. Mm. Yeah. I think that's important because I think that we as humans naturally model people that we're around 
um, starting when, when you're a child and you're modeling your, your parents or, you know, your peers that you're around. And that's very important to when you are moving past that stage of maturity and developing through your career, because sometimes in the military, you don't always have the choice, right? <laughs> but um, for a lot of us, we have the choice to see who are we around. And depending on our career development, like we have a little bit more flexibility on who we can model after as well. And just kind of like finding that mentor too. So. Yeah. And and I would say uh, two things. One is in this modern era, you can follow a lot more leaders than you ever could before. So uh, you may not interact with them every day, but you can watch what they do from social media, uh, podcasts like PT snacks, uh, kinds of things. <laughs> I didn't pay him to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, um, don't assume that there's one right way. Uh, look at the results that people get, look at how they bring people along because like, like Casey mentioned that if you are just modeling after your parents, uh, that is one way to do things and they may get results, but there's a whole world out there. There's a whole different way of doing things. Uh, so don't limit yourselves to just one thing. And, and by the way, Casey, I'm so glad that you modeled after your mother. Uh, <laughs> <me>. <laughs> I'm still like, my wheels are still turning on like the concept of leadership as an art and science. Cause I think for myself, I've always gravitated more towards the art side of leadership, I guess, in terms of just, you know, reading people's emotions and being more on the feely side of that. Okay. Let's like talk about your motivation, that kind of stuff. But I've had to learn kind of on the opposite end of just like, you've got to be firm here. Um, You've got to set some like hard and fast boundaries here, even when someone's emotions are going to be at play because at the end of the day, it might be the best thing for them to be able to, you know, kind of guide someone to a better end goal. So I think it kind of goes back into what you're saying of just, you have someone that you find that is modeling what kind of leadership you have. And then like, I I think you can come from both sides of that spectrum to, to be more collaborative and, you know, just have more tools in your own toolbox. Yeah. yeah, And there's a certain risk in going too far in either direction. Uh, Too far with rules alone, you come off as cold and aloof and uh, dictatorial and motivation becomes a problem for your organization. Too far on the other side, risks you spend a lot of time with one or two. And there are people out there that will suck up your time. uh, Trust me. Uh, Mm -hmm. You spend a lot of time on these one or two individuals and the organization suffers or the organization doesn't meet the goals. So it's uh, it's like the old saying, what do you call a body of water with banks? Uh, it's called a river. What do you call a body of water with no banks? Uh, that's called a flood. Mm, so, yeah. you know, same potential is there, but you've got to have some constraints that keep you going towards the goal or the whole organization will suffer. Mm. So how do you balance that now with the the goals and the boundaries too? When you're approaching a team and there's a mission that you're going towards, what what's going through your mind on how you handle that? So the number one focus has to be, where do we want to end up? Uh, and, and sometimes I'll even collaborate on that. Where, where do we want to end up? Mm-hmm. There are certain negotiables and there are certain non-negotiables. Um, you, you never want to negotiate something that's illegal, immoral, or unsafe. Uh, that, that's kind of a, a hard line. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, but as to where you want to go, if the team, if your leadership team, or if you, the team of people that you work with come up with where you want to go, go uh, then there's ownership in that, and they'll, they'll own that. Mm. So if you have time to do that, that's great. Sometimes you don't have that option because it's handed down to you by superiors in an organization. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't get to pick it. You just have to enforce it. But what you can do then is incorporate that into the team and say, okay, these, these are our objectives, or this is where uh, big brother or big sister wants us to go. What's the best way to get there? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the number one thing that I always start with in, in any leadership experience uh, or, or goal is uh, this saying always echoes in the back of my mind that none of us is as smart as all of us. So I have to recognize that there are people out there, uh, especially in the environment I serve now, I I serve a church that has many senior executives in oil and gas, uh, some retired that have had vast amounts of experience in in corporate America. It would be arrogant and irresponsible for me to assume that I know the best way to go, uh, especially in certain uh, decision areas that I don't have as much experience. So the number one thing I always think in the back of my mind, none of us is as smart as all of us. So let's hear some, some ideas. Let's do that. The whole brainstorming phase. Um, by the way, brainstorming is the non-judgmental throwing out of ideas. Mm-hmm. So sometimes uh, if you are working with people who are very dominant or have uh, a lot of experience in the background uh, in leadership, they'll shoot down ideas because they immediately see it's not feasible. Mm-hmm. Misses the whole point of brainstorming. Uh, the whole point yeah. of brainstorming is number one to get ideas out there, and that idea may be a really bad idea, but it might springboard someone else into a really good idea. Mm-hmm. So you don't use suspend that judgment, and that's an important key piece. The other thing then that becomes a challenge after that, there'll be a lot of good ideas, uh, and there's not just one way to to get to where you want to go. So then you have to decide well which way do we go. So that's where the uh, the art and science come back together, because ultimately, if you're the leader and you've got five good ideas and they would all work, someone has to finally, at the end of the day, say, we're going with number three mm-hmm. and everybody yeah. needs to be on board with that. So the science and art, just it's a constant back and forth between the science and the art, in my mind, uh, with the realization that uh, the the leader, the best leader in my mind is the one who can marshal every resource and every person towards the right goal. Hmm. So it's almost like creating a judgment-free zone to where you're actually able to draw in all members of the team and really maximize on the talent that you have so that you can come up with solutions. And then now you're guiding that journey with that on, okay, got a lot of things going forward. I am going to lead us. And then if that doesn't work, then we we go another route or something. But yeah. I think that's really important because I think that where I've seen makes mistakes like this is just either not being able to be approachable and create an area of like a judgment free. And then people are afraid to speak that are a lot smarter or you skip to the direction and you don't listen to the ideas. So in that scenario, you're not maximizing your talent that you have on your team. Exactly. Or you're you're spending too much time on the judgment free, and then there's no direction. So everybody's like, "So now what? <laughs> what are we going to do now?" And you're like, "I don't know. What do you feel like?" And then they, they don't look at you as a leader anymore because they're right. like, "You have no idea what's going on. I'm not going to follow you." Exactly. Well, and that that damages the motivation of the team, right? If they assume that you don't know what you're doing and you're you're just all about the huggy feely, uh, touchy stuff, then 
there's there's no progress towards a goal, and that will frustrate a team as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me give you one story. When I was in the Air Force, it kind of bridges the gap between what is leadership and who is a leader. Uh, that might be a good segue into that. But um, we were struggling because of a flying schedule. We were way behind schedule, and the only way that we could figure out how to do it was just to come in on weekends uh, that was supposed to be downtime mm-hmm. and fly extra sorties. So you can imagine that was a big hit with all the, the people and their families uh, in the squadron. Yeah. So we gathered a bunch of uh, senior people and some schedulers together, and we thought, okay, how are we going to deal with this? And uh, we batted around a bunch of ideas, all of which involved coming in for extra hours on the weekends. And then this probably 19-year-old girl who was pretty fresh out of boot camp with two stripes on her arm came up with a suggestion. And this is uh, this is a, the millennials everywhere will appreciate this because you got a bunch of people who are, you know, we're the digital immigrants. We came to this digital age after we were born. She was born into it. So she suggested a computer program, basically, that could make us more efficient and cover where we had holes and ended up not having to fly. We did have to fly one Saturday, but that was it. One Saturday versus what we thought was going to be a series of weekends. So the scenario, the reason I tell you this story is who is the leader at that moment? This little 19-year-old female in the room of senior officers was the leader mm-hmm. because she had what we needed at the time. Um, what is leadership? Having the ability to, to not have the ego and say, I have to have the answer. That's the wrong uh, approach. Mm-hmm. The right approach is I have to find the answer. And there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, big difference between I have to have it and I have to find it. That day, we found it in a 19-year-old female fresh out of boot camp, and she saved us many hours and probably hundreds of thousands of dollars in our training schedule. So at that moment, she was a leader, and as soon as that uh, idea came out, then it got into the right hands, then the leadership transferred to those who could actually implement. Mm. So leadership is fluid in that way, and ego and pride are two of the biggest obstacles to you being an effective leader. Because mm-hmm. if we'd have sat there until I came up with the idea, we'd probably still be there. You know, <laughs> families everywhere would hate me because they were they were never home on weekends and yeah, all that stuff. You might want to define too what a sortie is, real quick. <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, that's when you take off and fly and and then land. <laughs> My bad <laughs> for the non-military folk out there. Yeah, uh, you, you need to. Uh, Casey needs to be my interpreter. For- I will, <laughs> I'll interpret. <laughs> I'm so glad you speak military. <laughs> I think a little bit uh, speaking to civilians out there, um, but I I love that story for I mean like many reasons, but because I, I was just about to ask you about what do you do when you don't know what direction to take when we were talking about boundaries and judgment-free and then also creating direction. And the, the key with what you said is just like finding the answer. Your team will respect you so much more by you're, you're utilizing them and they feel appreciated. Cause I think that at the end of the day, most people want to feel appreciated, whether you're in leadership or whether you're on a team. Yes. Because if they feel appreciated and they feel like they have input into the final results, and especially in this case, if it's such a breakthrough, uh, they'll be willing to do that again. In fact, they'll be motivated to do that again. They'll want to do that again. Yeah. And uh, like I said, none of us is as smart as all of us. That's our first one sentence soundbite, but here's the second sentence soundbite. Uh, leaders don't have to have the right idea. They have to find the right idea. Mm-hmm. So in that process, um, 
to your question, I, I, I always like to have a circle of friends around me that is a go-to. Mm -hmm. The higher up you get in an organization, the smaller that circle is going to be. At one point, I was a squadron commander and uh, your circle of friends gets very small because I can't, as a squadron commander with six flights working for me, I can't go down at the flight commander level and start griping about some leadership situation that involves fellow flight commanders. Uh, that's a tantamount to gossip, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's damaging to morale. It's unfair to the other individuals. So in that regard, um, you know, I, I trusted other squadron commanders, uh, people, uh, peers, in other words, that were at the same level who might be experiencing some of the same problems. And the, the danger is you don't want it to turn into a gripe session or right. just, a, you know, a way to vent. Uh, you want to try to stay productive with it. Like, I've got this situation. Have you had this before? What did you do? Uh, again, none of us is smart as all of us. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's the right answer or the answer I'll even implement, but at least it's feedback. Right. So having a circle of friends that you can turn to is always good. Uh, but also there are circumstances where no, nobody knows the right idea. Uh, COVID came along. How many people have been through a global pandemic before? Who has the right idea? Yeah, that's well, true. Nobody, nobody's ever done that before. So, <laughs> right. so uh, throw it out there to get all ideas going is, is uh, my, my mentality on that and see what works. And, and then try to implement some, get some feedback. That. I think is the other thing that I, that I learned best is um, not best, but I learned the hardest lesson is once a decision is made, you have to have a feedback loop. You mm -hmm. can't just implement a, a decision, throw it out there and leave it alone. You have to come back to it and, and assess how's it doing? Is it getting us results? Is it causing unnecessary wear and tear in some place that we don't even know about? Uh, does it need adjusting or is it fine? So uh, have a feedback loop. Yeah, I th I think that's huge. Um, never really thought about it that way before, but it's almost like you're you're planning together, you're doing it, and then you're reassessing it, and then you plan do reassess. Because I think a lot of people view it as when you're achieving a goal, it's like you're shooting an arrow at a target, and you just have to release the arrow once, and then hope it makes it to it. Mm. But what you're describing is almost more of like, I think of curling, um, like on the winter Olympics, <laughs> I don't know. That just came to my head first, but were there like constantly, like you've got one person that's pushing it forward and then you've got another one with that broom. I don't even know how it works really, but it just seems like they're having to constantly do a lot of work to get it to its target. And then they switch sides. I don't really know what's going on, but like, that's, I guess the picture that I just had come to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's a, a good example because it's never just a launch and release. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I think uh, maybe an easier example, since many people may not have curling experience, uh, <laughs> might be a GPS. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go the easier route. <laughs> <laughs> so in a GPS, you, you know, your starting point, you know, your end point, that's your goal. But along the way, you're constantly keeping updates. And, and this is a uh, a good lesson too, because if the GPS nowadays, if you have a roadblock up ahead, it's going to re reprogram you. Mm -hmm. So that's that constant assessment factor that says, okay, we still want to go to the goal. The goal hasn't changed, but we're going to need to do it a different way because we can't get there this way. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't get that without a feedback loop. Yeah. Essentially create the feedback loop, create an environment that you can maximize the talents of your team and utilize your team 
but help lead the team towards a common goal based on what they said and just see how it's going, reassess, keep going from there. Exactly. How to make decisions as a team. Right. <laughs> and if you don't know, find your, I like I'd call it a mastermind group almost where. Yes. You're, so you're that, that's that circle of peers uh, that yeah. I mentioned earlier that may or may not even have experience in your field, mm -hmm. but are, are dealing with leadership issues. Yeah. How do you, with that mastermind group, create an environment to where that feedback is productive and doesn't turn into a venting session? Mm -hmm. So in some cases, you will be assigned a group. You don't get a choice. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you're on a board or you have a, uh, a leadership team that you have to work with, you don't get a choice in those people. So what you have to mitigate is there are going to be some people that are uh, either non-productive or even counterproductive. Uh, their inputs are not helpful or hurtful, um, or they, they try to turn it into the gripe session. Mm -hmm. So two things happen in, the, in a group that you don't have any control over. Uh, one is you have to establish the boundaries. And, and if you are in a position as leadership, you can do that. Uh, and it doesn't have to be harsh, like, okay, no gossip, shut up, uh, can't talk <laughs> about people. I mean, that's one way to do it. It's not wrong. Uh, but another way to do it is to explain the purpose of this group is, and it's the purpose of this group is to get our team across the line uh, to accomplish the goals. Um, here's what's helpful in doing that, examining lessons learned, breaking up log jams that we might find along the way. Here's what's not helpful in that, turning it into a gripe session that has no pro. It's like growing a tree with no fruit. You know, there, there's nothing that comes of it. Uh, yeah, so yeah. that's not helpful to this group. Uh, and whenever I sense that we're going in that direction, uh, I may ask you a question like, uh, to what end? You, know, you bring the situation up and I'll say, okay, to what end are you bringing that up? Uh, what's the lesson or what's the log jam? And if they can't answer that, it's pretty self-correcting. It'll take a few times and they may be a little embarrassed to go, oh, yeah, I slipped into the gossip zone. Uh, mm -hmm. But if they, if they are self-aware at all, <laughs> they'll stop doing that. <laughs> If they're not self-aware, uh, it might be time to transplant them <laughs> if you have the option. Um, that's the group that you don't have control over. The group that you can have control over are those circle of friends that you choose to mastermind with. Mm. So if you get into a group and there are people who are productive and people who are not, uh, you can just volunteer voluntarily invite some of them to become a separate mastermind group. Mm. You know, these are the people that are productive and helpful. Let's form a group. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of developing yourself as a leader, you talked about modeling after other leaders and then having a mastermind group, um, mm. whether you can choose it or not. <laughs> what are some other ways that you've used to develop yourself as a leader? Constant assessment. So where I talked about a feedback loop in your decision-making, also have a feedback loop in your leadership development. So as you monitor other leaders, continue to keep your eyes open for uh, people who appeal to you, people who are getting results in a way that you admire. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and for me, people who get results and bring a team along and have high esprit de corps in the process, that, that's who I look for. Who's doing that? Mm -hmm. uh, so always keep your eyes and ears open. Um, there will be new uh, ways of leadership. The principles are pretty much principles. That's why we call them principles. They don't change. Yeah. Right. But the way that you go about that can change. So, for example, leadership in a pandemic, 
looks a whole lot different because you have things like Zoom. Uh, yeah. who, how many people knew how to use Zoom before the pandemic? Uh, not nearly as many as they do now. In fact, many people now are trying to quit Zoom. It's like a bad habit, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so be aware um, of the changes that are developing and, um, and be aware of other sources that, that may be trusted and, and may be influential. As you gain levels of leadership, your models may change slightly because mm -hmm. what you can do as a, a leader of five people changes when you're a leader of 400. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not just scalable. You can't just do the same things that you do with five people with 400. It, it changes. Mm. So you might need to pick up some new skills along the way. I would say be open to education, be open to experiences, be open to uh, wh whether those experiences are paid or not, in fact. Uh, and that might mean volunteering to lead in a, in a volunteer organization mm. or for a, a certain project. If time is a, a factor for you to say, hey, I will help out with this event that's coming up at, at my school, workplace, church, whatever, uh, that gives you temporary leadership experience because it has a defined end mm -hmm. and, and people can deal with defined ends. It's not going to last forever. <laughs> um <laughs> But you get the leadership experience in the process. Mm. So those are other ways to do it. And then just be be open to further education because it's not all just modeling people in art. It is there is some science to it too. So just be aware to to have an education stream. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is kind of almost a combination of information going in and actions being put out. Like you can't yes. learn, 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 learn and hope that when you do have to be a leader, you're going to do it perfect or like you just do, do, do never really assess how am I doing? It's a combination of both where you're, you're creating your own feedback loop. Yeah. And maybe this is the third single sentence soundbite, but take your theory into action and your action into theory. Mm. So don't ever just rely on one, learn the theory, but go try it out. And if it doesn't work, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, come back and reassess why didn't it work. Yeah. Um, can I adjust? Is this, is this because of me? Is there something that I can change or was this a situation? Uh, and, and then come back and, and reassess that. So yeah, take your theory into action and your action into theory. I really like that you touched on that because I think that I see people on both sides of the spectrum where they're afraid to act and step out and, and make a fool of themselves or they are very, very confident in themselves and they're making a fool of themselves, but they're not really aware <laughs> of that. Um, and so it, it's like that happy medium of where you are self-aware and, but you are willing to step out of your comfort zone and be able to accept that feedback, grow from it, where you're not just stepping off a ledge necessarily. Yes. So. Well, and, and let me make one promise to every potential leader out there. I guarantee this. You will not get it right 100% of the time, and that's okay. Sure. Right. So people think uh, one, of the, one of the biggest challenges in leadership, especially if you're a young leader or a leader of peers or a leader in a volunteer environment, is like you have to get it's Just like I have to have the right answer, uh, I have to get it right every time. Mm -hmm. Actually, no, you don't, and you won't. Uh, if you are perfect every time, then you're probably not human and people don't want a non-human leader. <laughs> not very relatable. Uh, 
Right. Now, there are ways to mitigate that. You don't want to just go out there willy nilly and make really bad decisions or uninformed decisions. Uh, you, you do due process. You get the best input. You make the best decision. But just understand you're not going to get it 100 percent right. And so I think another valuable skill for leaders is the ability to um, admit mistakes and press forward. Mm -hmm. Don't let that be the end of you. Like, oh, I made a mistake. I'm not perfect anymore. I can't lead. That's not true. Yeah, I entirely agree with that. And I think that when you are willing to say you made a mistake, everybody knows that you made a mistake. So you might yeah. own it. Like, <laughs> at least you're telling your team, I'm aware. Right. And you're not talking about you behind your back. Right. So at least like now everyone's out in the open and you can move forward from that or else it's going to be one of those things. That's always like, well, so-and-so did this. I don't know if I could trust them for that, but it's that willingness to be like, yeah, I, I own it. Like I own that mistake. And I have worked on myself to not do that again. And that's my promise to you is to try and be better next time. But I also think that if you're pouring into other people, that willingness to say, this is what I did, learn from my mistakes. It also makes you relatable to where they're like, oh, now I can see myself in your shoes because I, you're not unreachable. Like your status is not unreachable. Maybe someday I can be a leader like you, if you're leading mentees through that. Yeah. And that's the, and there's a fine line there too. I mean, obviously you don't want to kind of oh, I always make mistakes. I'm such a, yeah. <laughs> nobody's going to follow that. Right. 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 <laughs> but uh, it, like you said, there, there are certain things that it's obvious to everyone that you've made an error in those circumstances. It is best to acknowledge it. Uh, because that shows that you're aware, but it's also another opportunity. And this is the key word opportunity. Your mistake can become an opportunity for people to learn for people to have more input for them to feel more a part of a team. So if you make a decision that is either a straight out wrong decision, or maybe not the, the optimal decision, you try it out. And, and then after a period of time, you assess it with the feedback loop and you say, that wasn't the best decision. Uh, let's, let's have some other inputs or let's go back to the inputs that we had at the time of this decision and reassess and let's choose this other course of action. Let's instead of choosing number three this time, now we're going to choose number two that was mentioned before and see how that one works. Yeah. So a willingness, um, uh, to, to come back to a decision and not say, well, if I change my decision, it damages my integrity. No, actually, if you continue the wrong course of action that damages your integrity because it shows that you're not open to input and you care more about your pride and ego than you do the organization. Mm, yeah. And like, as you were saying before, that pride and ego prevents you from being a good leader. Absolutely. Because you're not looking out for the well-being of the group. You're looking out for yourself. Exactly. Yes, we have, we've all seen it <laughs> in some varying degrees. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, funny, that, that just reminded me that uh, one of the other things I was going to say is you always want to be learning. You can always watch others and, and learn from their experiences. You can learn sometimes more from a bad leader than you can a good one. Yeah. Uh, I've had leaders in my history where they were not good leaders. And I remember saying to myself at that time, I will never do that again. <laughs> so yeah. you can learn it. Don't despair. If you're in a bad leadership situation, you can still learn tons. Mm, yeah. Sometimes more. 
And sometimes more. Sometimes those lessons stick more than the other ones. <laughs> That's just like I think mistakes sometimes stick more than success. Absolutely. I learn way more in the valleys than I do on the mountaintops. That is true. Well, and I know we've talked a lot about, um, you know, developing yourself as a leader and helping to make decisions for a group as a leader. But how do you, as a leader, pour into your team? Mm. I think that's a, a case of knowing your team. And you, you can know them on paper by, you know, what school did they go to? What degree do they have? What experience do they have? But it's a whole nother thing to understand how do they operate? Um I'm a big fan of uh, personality testing. So you kind of get a a look under the hood, uh, what motivates them, what makes them tick, what energizes them, what would they seem, uh, what would they look at as a reward or a punishment? Um, Knowing how to plug them into things professionally and personally. So I always ask the, the, the members of my current staff, like, what are your professional goals? And then I ask, what are your personal goals? Not that I may be able to help them reach their personal goals, but if I can create an opportunity or I'm aware of an opportunity, then we can fold that into to what they're doing with their time off or with opportunities for further education or experiences in the community, whatever that might look like. So knowing how they operate is key. I'll give you one quick story. We had a, uh, this was in my volunteer life at another church. We had this uh meal program we would serve meals every saturday and so we were recruiting help to come and and prepare the food in the kitchen and we set up tables out in the in the hall and we made it really nice so that whoever came could feel like they had a nice sit down dinner Mm. and so we had various roles to fill well this one young man came in and said uh hey i'd like to to volunteer to serve i said great we need a host so basically you greet people at the door you help them find a spot uh, maybe introduce them to the fellow table members and just kind of start a conversation so they feel at home and then go back and help the next person find their seat. And I had an older gentleman come in about five minutes later. Hey, I'd love to help. I said, great. Hey, we need someone to work this big industrial dishwasher. And, you know, these like hundreds of plates come through and you got to do this, you know, thing and all that. Right. At the end of that first day, I asked them both how their experience went. And they said, uh, I, this just isn't for me. I don't think I'll be back. And I was like, oh, that, that breaks my heart for you. But uh, tell me more. Why, why was this such a bad experience? To make a long story short, the first guy in the door was the ultimate introvert. The second guy was the ultimate extrovert. Mm-hmm. So what I had done without my knowledge was I had taken the world's biggest introvert and made him the host to greet all the people. And I had taken the world's biggest extrovert and put him in the back at the dishwasher where he got to talk to no one. <sighs> So once I figured that out and re-invited them and reassigned them roles, they thought this was the greatest thing ever. And for, for my knowledge, they're probably still doing it, you know? Yeah. So it, it's a case of don't assume that the the first is the worst and, and is wrong. Get to know yeah. the people and what energizes and motivates them. Wow. I love that story. Um, Cause I think that it's very tempting when we see someone underperforming to assume that they're an underperformer. Yes. Rather than that they're in the wrong spot. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's the thing of, you know, people will say, I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have time to examine motives. I don't have time to get to know my people. And in some cases that's true. But if that's always true for you, I would, I would uh, encourage you to look at your leadership lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning that maybe there are some other things that you could cut to make time for that. 
Yeah. Because and here's why it's still uh, sharpen the the axe uh, analogy. You know, if you if you got a hundred trees to cut down, but you never take time to sharpen the axe of your team. Mm-hmm. And and what I mean by sharpen that axe is know what motivates people, know where the best fit is, uh, know how to give them rest and rejuvenation so that they're constantly engaged. That takes time, but in the end, you'll be more productive if you do that than if you just keep slogging away. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. Well, and if you are taking the time to sharpen your ax, that only benefits the team as a whole, because you're going to get to your end result a lot better. Cause I'm sure the, the introvert was probably not the best host. I mean, maybe he was fine, but like, actually he he wasn't that great. (laughs) (laughs) So like it still affects the mission, right. To where like the people, the mission is to, to provide a nice experience for the people that like need food. Yes. And and they're like, oh, this guy's so awkward. <laughs> like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> like, well, and that, yeah, that created awkward table conversations too, because the awkwardness just spread all over. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I I think that to your point on making time to prioritize, basically just knowing the strengths of your team, I think that it will save you time in the long run because you're not you're not worried about um people who are, are not fulfilled. You're not worried about attrition or having like constant turnover because people aren't satisfied in their leaving mm-hmm. um, or people are, are not burned out because like they're doing things that fill them and give them life instead of taking away from it. Yes. So, yeah. That is more possible than we think, by the way. Um, I think a lot of times people get burned out because they feel like there's no end in sight or there's, you know, I'm stuck in this job that I just, it's drudgery. Again, I drag myself to work every day, but you can find elements within the day um, that that will energize you. And I, I encourage people to do that, even as individuals, let alone leaders. Yeah. So what does that look like for you? Just curious. So um, I have some really interesting hobbies. Uh, <laughs> is it, I, I, I've been known in the middle of the day to uh, sneak away from the office and, and roll Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, <laughs> which my daughter, the physical therapist is appalled at, uh, because I too old to be doing this stuff, but I'm not, <laughs> I'm not appalled. It's just every time I come home, you're like, I hurt myself. I mean, what happened? Well, I got punched. I'm like, well, I can't do anything about that. <laughs> uh, well, uh, my, my love of martial arts is, is one way that I, I, uh, find time in the day or, or the evening to, to take a mental break so that I'm not 24 seven thinking about work, even if I'm not there, that, that's one of the downsides of the, the era that we live in with social media and email and all this is that you're constantly reachable. Uh, and so there can be the perception of zero break. I never get away from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so find something that allows you to escape safely. Uh, meaning like if you're on a 24 call, 24 hour call as a doctor or something, well, obviously you have to be reachable, mm-hmm. um, but you're not talking or dealing with situations 24 hours straight, uh, mm-hmm. hopefully. Right. Uh, maybe in the rare emergency. Yeah. But finding ways. And, and one of the reasons that I, I do these crazy things is that while I'm there, I'm not thinking about emails. I'm not thinking about phone calls. I'm not thinking about appointments. I'm thinking about, I don't want to get hit and I don't want to get choked out. That's what I'm thinking about. That's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> so, so. Seems like a worthy. <laughs> yes. Well, and 
And in the meantime, I'm getting a physical workout. I'm getting a mental workout because there's strategy involved. I'm getting some socialization outside of my work channels because these people aren't all in my work field or even in my community. Um, But we share a common interest that is outside of all that. Yeah. So, so finding that release for you uh, is key, whatever that is. And it, it doesn't have to be, you know, my hobbies. It can be reading. It could be running. It could be crocheting, it could, you know, whatever yeah. it is that takes you away for a month, for a, a brief period of time. Yeah. And I think that's important for like the team to know as well, too. Because mm-hmm. I think that if you are looking to a leader who's high, high performer, it's tempting to it like you'll want to match the energy, which is good. But I think that sometimes you don't always see how the leader is operating to keep themselves as a higher performer. And so like the team can be like, oh, I gotta like keep up. I don't want to, I don't want to let this person down. I respect them so much, or like I feel like I've got to keep going, going, going. So it's like almost that communication of like, I expect great things of you, but this kind of thing will help you to maintain that high. Yeah. And I think that's a, a piece of the culture that needs to be yeah. built. People need to understand that sharpening the ax is not goofing off. Uh, you know, me going to midday uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is not goofing off. That's actually sharpening my ax. Uh, I'm a far better person because of that, um, because I take that, that time. So understanding that it's part of the culture, understanding that it's sharpening the ax is not goofing off. Um, making that acceptable and not only acceptable, but encouraged, in fact, because mm-hmm. here's, here's soundbite number four. There's a huge difference between busyness and productivity. Mm. We confuse busyness with accolades and honor and, Oh, look how busy that person is. In fact, if you go up to somebody today and go, Hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm so busy. It's yeah. a status symbol, right? Time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my question is yes, but are you productive? <laughs> <laughs> there's an eye opener <laughs> <laughs> and i think that and this is like i catch myself doing this all the time too but it's easy to get caught up in that um whirlwind if you're not taking time to step away from it to where you lose touch with what things are productive and what things are busy because you're just like I, especially if you're like a high achiever, love to do this, that kind of stuff. You start putting things on your list that are just like easy to do, but it's like, but this wasn't the point of my day. My mission was this, but I lost the mission because it's one bullet point out of 15 on here and crossing off, brushing my teeth was way easier to do. (laughs) You kind of get that, that emotional high of like, I achieved something, but it's like, what did you achieve versus like the mental discipline that it takes to be like, I could achieve that but my mission is this. Can I keep my eyes on the target right here? Yes. So as a leader, this is a, this is a story that I would constantly tell the flight commanders when I was a squadron commander, so much so that they gave me a, a, a departure gift based on this. I'll tell the story, then I'll tell you what the gift was. Mm-hmm. Um, when they became flight commanders, so back up for just a second. If you joined the Air Force to be a pilot, you love to fly. Duh, right? So as you become a flight commander, you get to fly less and you have to do more leadership and administration. So you can imagine the number of people wanting to be a flight commander is smaller than the number of people who would love to fly all the time, right? So it's it's an honor because you're a leader, but it's uh, I don't get to do what I love anymore, right? So you have to encourage them and, and get them thinking in a different way. So the story I used to tell when I get a new flight commander is I would say, okay, let's say that our mission is to hack through the jungle. 
we have machetes. You have a team of 16 people. So you get, you say go and you're out there and you're just hacking away. You're out front and you're hacking, hacking, hacking. And I've already mentioned the one part about you got to stop and, and sharpen the blade, right? So I tell them that that's something that you need to do as a flight commander. But here's the other thing that I want you to do as a flight commander. About every so often, you need to put down your machete. You need to find the nearest tree and you need to climb to the top of it. And you need to watch your team. And in the real sense, it's stepping back objectively and looking at how your team is doing. Mm. Are you making progress to the goals? Because I said, you, you, know, you take two flight commanders. One is always out there in front, always leading the way. His people admire that, that leader. Um, they think that's the greatest example of leadership ever. Then there's another one right next door to him that, that puts down the, the machete, climbs the tree, and realizes that in the process of hacking through the jungle, they've been going in a circle. Mm. So they basically have come back to where they started because they never took time to climb the tree and have someone go, oh, wait a minute, guys, let's go this way. Uh, let, let's not, you're going in a circle. You need to head this way. Right. You only get that with you if you stop, take the objective view, step back, look at the big picture. And you have to, to schedule time for that. Cause if you don't, you'll be overrun by the hacking through the jungle. Mm, yeah. I love that analogy. And I remember mm. that machete. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so the gift that they gave me, they laser engraved uh, this one flight uh, laser engraved all their signatures on this giant wood block and then stuck a machete in the middle of it. Said, never forget to climb the tree. <laughs> <laughs> and we moved that thing around all over. <laughs> yes, it is still here in the, in the garage, is. I think, as we speak. Sure, the movers had some questions. <laughs> yes, rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. Um, no, I, I love that point because I think that there are several types of leaders, as we've mentioned, the classic is like leading a team, but also like leading yourself too. like mm -hmm. you can be a team of one. If you're going to take on the responsibility of carrying other people along to a target that you should take some ownership over leading yourself as well, or else you'll do a disservice to those people that are relying on you. Absolutely. And that's the one place you can always practice leadership. And it's the most immediate feedback you'll ever get. Yeah. <laughs> it's personal. <laughs> True. Well, in terms of, you know, like troubleshooting for your team, I talked about like pouring into them and, you know, making sure that they stay high performing and on task. But also you were talking about a really cool analogy before we started recording about team members who are in the wrong spot on, on how to identify, you know, where should they be or should they be there at all? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I had the good fortune to attend uh, several schools in the air force and uh, get some good education in the process of that. I wrote a paper called leadership by gardening. And the, the point of the, the leadership by gardening is uh, leaders should look at their team more like a garden than a, a cog. And the point being, um, what you measure, what you reward will be repeated, and it may or may not be helpful. For example, if you uh, set a standard of measurement as the one who is the tallest will be the best performer. I'm just using random standards here. The, the tallest is the best performer. Well, your corn is always going to win, but you might be growing some award-winning broccoli there that you're not even aware of. Mm -hmm. So your broccoli is high quality. Your corn is average, but your corn is rewarded because your measurement was whoever's the tallest. Mm. 
So as a leader, you also have to set performance standards and measure the things that are, are necessary for your organization's success. Um, now, maybe your organization values tall the best, right? That, that's what you need to succeed. You need tall. Okay, well, I also noticed in the process, there's this award-winning broccoli there. It's just not right for my organization. So rather than not reward it or demean it or dismiss it, find the garden that that reward-winning broccoli belongs in. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. That's another favor that you can do as a leader is to say, this isn't maybe the place for you, but there's a transplant that we can do. Let me introduce you to this where, where they measure greenness. That's their success. And you're going to do great there. Yeah. Right? Uh, in the process of all that, uh, it, there may be multiple measures. You know, in this season, we need tall. In this season, we need greens. I'm going to throw away that broccoli. I'm going to keep it in my garden, but just recognize that there's a season where that will be the most important. And then another season where height will be the most important. Mm-hmm. I know I'm talking in very ethereal terms here, but you can probably relate to some uh, criteria or leadership measurement standards that you've experienced that seem not quite right. <laughs> yeah. But the one caveat I throw into this whole leadership by gardening is uh, you do have to recognize uh, what belongs in the garden and what's a weed, mm. right? Because a weed doesn't belong anywhere. Uh, a weed needs to be removed. And there are ways to r- remove that weed before it becomes multiple weeds and then begins to affect the quality of the garden. Mm. Uh, that's a special circumstance um, and the weeds just need to be removed. I'll just leave it at that. But <laughs> there are certain times when you do have to, to come down hard. You do need to fire people. Uh, you do need to take action for the betterment of the organization. Mm, yeah. And I think like I could translate that into physical therapy world on going back to, are they in the right garden or not? Um, Cause there's a lot of different settings in physical therapy, even just like within outpatient orthopedics, which is my setting mm-hmm. to where you can have a small practice where the emphasis is on um, more business and networking and trying to get people in your door. But like, let's say you're a little bit more introverted and love research. It's like, well, your small business practice will not have the resources for that. Maybe you need to link up with a like a large hospital system that has the funding for that, that that's part of their values to where you can really plug in and be very happy instead of expending yourself so much that you're like, is this what physical therapy is? I'm exhausted. Like, this is not fulfilling. I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and, a perfect example. Uh, and, the, and the problem was not physical therapy was not for you. The problem was you were in the wrong spot to be able to perform physical therapy. You're in the wrong garden. Um, you're in the wrong garden. And <laughs> the reality is that person, if they were never put in the right garden, may have all the talent in the world, but may never have been able to be cultivated enough to like put forth fruit or, or I guess that would be produce if we're talking about broccoli. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of productivity. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and I think that um, that approach can be very altruistic to where you're not looking out only for your team or your organization, but you're, you're, it's a love for people and wanting them to succeed and, and be the best that they can, but also being in a environment that is the best for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and sometimes that awareness comes from yourself. Uh, you, you may figure out it, 
I say leaders because typically they're the ones who are objective. They're up the tree looking and they see things you know, objectively that you can't always see in the heat of the moment. But that doesn't mean that you can't be self-aware enough to go, you know what? I'm broccoli. Uh, they value corn here. Uh, who values broccoli? Let me start looking into that. Mm. In terms of cultivating your team, you know, other than the, okay, creating an environment where they feel appreciated and can maximize their talents, but also like taking the time to know what your team members' talents are so that you can utilize them or remove them to to help them utilize it elsewhere, which also opens up spots for you to pull in more team members that would still help your mission. As well. Yeah, that, that are a better fit for the criteria that you've mm-hmm. set forth. Absolutely. Because now you know what you're looking for. You're looking for corn, mm-hmm. right? So if, if it's not corn, that, that makes your process much easier. Yeah. I think that's very much the balance between art and science. Absolutely. By gardening. <laughs> By gardening. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Now, to wrap it up, obviously, we could probably go on for like days talking about this subject. But for someone who is listening to this and they are maybe already in a leadership role, but they're young at it or um, are wanting to become a leader, but don't really know how to go about getting into that role, what would be your advice for them on just taking those first few steps? Sure. I would say, let's go back to our soundbite of uh, put your theory into action and put your action into theory. And here's what that looks like. Some people will assume, well, I can't get any leadership experience until I get to a place where I can be a formal leader. We'll ask that 19-year-old in our squadron if she was a leader in that moment, and she was because she spoke up. You can be a leader anywhere you are. So let's start with the theory. Uh, Start looking for people that you admire their leadership style. They could be living or they could be former. I I love uh, some of the leadership lessons that I learned from Abraham Lincoln, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, Not quite living. I'm not that old. I did not know him personally. (laughs) So start to learn those lessons. Uh, you can read books. You can get some of that, that theory in, uh, but then also start applying that. So uh, understand that you don't have to have formal title title of leader to lead in an organization, just like that 19-year-old. Mm-hmm. Uh, also understand there are many venues to practice leadership. You know, Like I said, find an event that needs some help. Uh, find a, a group, whether that's a, a bicycle club or a uh, Sunday school or w- whatever environment you can find yourself in that requires leadership. And if you're worried about time, find one that's temporary, meaning here's a set time that I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to six months doing this event. And when the six months are over, I will have experience, lessons learned, and uh, I will know what to do and what not to do more than I did when I started. Right. Yeah. Uh, but what you can't do is just wait your turn and assume that there's going to be a magic leadership switch that flips once you get that formal title and you're going to know everything. You're never going to know everything. You're never going to feel ready. Uh, I never got a leadership assignment where I felt like, oh, yeah, I got this. Uh, I was always like, do they understand what they're doing when they put me here? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but if you take those tools of none of us is as smart as all of us, uh, and you're not going to get it right hundred percent of the time, uh, it gives you a lot more freedom to pull in those resources. And there you have it. This conversation is something similar to a conversation that I might have with my dad nowadays over dinner. 
And the older I get, the more I realize that I have so much more to learn. And I definitely don't want to take for granted the blessings that I have in my parents. I know that this is something that not everyone is blessed with, but I am so excited to have been able to share what I have with the world. And so if something resonated with you, please share it. You can tag me on Instagram at PT Snacks Podcast, or I even just started a TikTok under the same name. So find me there while I figure out how to work the, the app. I'm not very tech savvy, so uh, it, this is a small miracle for me. But something that's very important, and I, if you have zoned out, please zone back in. I have just started a membership option through Buy Me a Coffee, which you can find in a link below in the show notes. But I have an ask. So if you have found this podcast to be helpful, you believe in the message and the purpose, I would ask you to consider supporting by signing up for the $3 a month option. You only have to sign up once and then everything else is taken care of. But this would actually help me to hire help to be able to put out more high quality and main thing free material that you as the growth minded physical therapist can benefit from all for about the price of black coffee, which is actually my personal preference. And if this isn't feasible, no worries. You can tell your PT friends about this podcast and help me share the word instead. I don't want money to be an issue here, but if you have it and you're willing to share it, I know that it will be put to good use and I will be fiscally responsible with that. Now, if you are in need of CEUs, Medbridge also has offered generously a promo code for PT Snacks Podcast listeners by following the promo code below, or you can use PT Snacks Podcasts to get 40% off their annual subscription. And with that, you get access to like thousands of CEUs, free webinars, even a patient HP program. So check it out if that's something that fits a need that you have so that we can fill that, take care of that. And then if you have any future requests on things you want me to cover, you can reach me at ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com. That's it for today, guys. And until next time.